0: Sure words concerning my annual descent into password hell. As the new year approaches, a lot of us are taking our cues from the IT experts who encourage the general populace to change passwords once a year, like smoke alarms or high school girlfriends. Meaning now is when the brain-racking begins to come up with a new password for 2014. We've all seen the little bar that rates our passwords in relation to strength. Red means weak. Don't you love being called weak by a snotty algorithm? And to no matter how many times you respond, oh yeah, well you're pedantic. It doesn't help. The stronger the password, the greener the bar. Of course, they keep adding new rules. Now your password can't be any password you've ever used before, and it has to have capital letters and non-consecutive numerals and at least six characters, well no more than twelve. And it can't be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or the word password, or eat poo, and die, because some sites have a filter for that. And yeah, 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 we know the best password doesn't mean anything. It's just a random series of numbers, letters, hashtags, asterisks, and ampersands and looks like Popeye's dialogue balloon after hitting his thumb with a hammer, which means you got not chance one in hell to remember it. Then there's always the password retrieval question, which never appears familiar, giving rise to the distinct possibility that drunken sight registration may have occurred. My favorite pet, who can make that kind of judgment? My daughter's middle name, I don't have a daughter that I know of. My favorite non-cruciferous vegetable? the hell does that mean? You can always use a password protection app, but those seem dodgy as well. Like those subliminal tapes we used to play during sleep cycles. My biggest fear was always the subliminal message was, buy more tapes. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. <laughs>
1: All right, the minutes we have left, I think we got to concentrate on some more curious science stories. For my money, one of the most curious stories in uh, physical anthropology in recent years is the fact that we know there's this entire unknown species of human beings that we only know about from a finger bone and a couple of molars found in a cave in, uh, in Siberia. Thanks to modern uh, DNA sequencing, we're able to to learn a lot about. Well, we're able to learn about the DNA of these people and have been able to compare it to others around the world to find out that people in Asia appear to be related to these mysterious Denisovans. Now, we we've known for quite some time back in the 1800s about uh, Neanderthal man, who was pretty close to us. And in fact, uh, well, in fact, a lot of us have Neanderthal DNA in us, some more than others. But uh, the the plot thickened on on all this with some DNA sequencing done on 400,000-year-old human bones found in a cave in northern Spain. Apparently, scientists pulled out a thigh bone that's about 400,000 years old, sequenced the DNA, and found out that uh, the results suggest that um, the bone came from a previously unknown human species. Perhaps even a, quote, missing link, unquote, between the Neanderthals and their mysterious cousins, the Denisovans. This is something else we're going to talk about, I hope. The, the program, as it were, of all these various players in this human saga, people like Lucy, the uh, 3.2 million euro Australopithecus found in Ethiopia, Karabo, 1.9 million-year-old boy from South Africa, found a few years back. Turkana boy, <laughs> I love these, these, these nicknames, a 1.5 million-year-old Homo erectus, found in Kenya. And, of course, Neanderthals and the mysterious Denisovans. Based on the imprint in modern humans' DNAs, it's felt that the Denisovans are most closely related to Neanderthals and roamed as far as Indonesia, where they interbred with modern humans. And meanwhile, off the coast of Africa, looking at some even way further back ancestors, we have the matter of the coelacanth, which is a lobed fin fish, thought to be perhaps one of um, the ancestors of land-walking vertebrates. Fish has some very strange arm and leg-like fins sticking out of them. They were thought to have disappeared with the dinosaurs, even though this type of fish appears in the fossil record 380 million years ago. So it was thought that they had a 300 million year run and then disappeared along with uh, Tyrannosaurus, Stegosaurus, and their friends. Well, imagine people's surprise when a live specimen turned up in the Comor Islands back in the 1930s. The uh, modern fossil made headlines around the world. And... uh, Ever since then, there have been efforts to study other specimens that were captured or more properly caught by fishermen. They never seem to survive the trip to the surface for very long, sadly. But over the years, people have gone down to photograph them alive in the wild, which is kind of exciting. And people have been keen of late to get a hold of one. Uh, Apparently none has been caught for something like five years. And, uh, well, scientists are keen to do not just anatomic studies, of these creatures, but take a look at the DNA. Apparently, the two leading candidates for being the fish that led to uh, land-walking animals are um, the lungfish and the coelacanth. Now, it turns out that, as sometimes happens, animals may duplicate their DNA, and uh, apparently the lungfish of today is not your father's lungfish, the, the, the lungfish of hundreds of millions of years ago, And uh, it's just a big frightful mess to try and decipher its DNA. The coelacanth, on the other hand, had a much simpler uh, set of genetic material. So it's curious to note that when one was finally caught uh, some years back and modern genetic techniques were applied to it, the answer did get revealed. And the verdict is, quote, the genetic analysis strongly supports the conclusion that tetrapods, that's us, are more closely related to lungfish than to the coelacanth. So it turns out this, this fish with uh, its four strange appendages is not our several million times great-grandmother, but rather our great-many-greats aunt. But curiously, they are claiming that the coelacanth is more closely related to us than it is to a shark or even a salmon. And further analysis is probably going to reveal a great deal about how it is fish climbed out of the waters to colonize the land. In fact, uh, the comparisons they're making currently um, are shedding some light on how certain genes changed, which were lost, which were adapted, uh, and how we came to breathe, smell, excrete, and walk on land. For example, the coelacanth has the same structure in its fins as we do in our arms. It has basically a a one-bone upper arm equivalent, and a two-bone lower arm equivalent, corresponding to our own radius and ulna. It seems that this fish is going to teach us a lot in the months and years to come. All right, final item. We turn back to something I made passing mention of on last week's program: forgotten antibiotics. We're all, of course, concerned as we move forward about the fact that we don't have quite the repertoire of effective antibiotics we used to. Bugs have learned how to become resistant. So it was uh, some amusement that I read this article in the December 14th edition of New Scientist about this new miracle technique <laughs> to, to help us, which involves using sunlight and fresh air. The article starts talking about how research back in 1968 on possible biochemical agents said so that if you dusted some bacteria around a room onto some uh, spider silk, And then exposed it to daylight. Well, guess what? Something in the fresh air and sun killed the bacteria. Now, the fact that UV light is kind of tough on very small living things has been known for a while. A lot of sterilizing techniques to this day involve ultraviolet. But I just find it curious to note that uh, if we could get more fresh air, and sunlight into our lives, we'd be healthier. I I think this has been recognized intuitively by people since, I don't know, the dawn of time. It's just sort of curious how much modern medicine has gotten away from this. Of course, I was thinking about the fact that in most hospital settings, opening up the window to let fresh air in is probably not going to pan out. I mean, it might work for an old-style sanitarium out in the country somewhere, but uh, for most City medical centers, Eh, not so much. Well, I do hope in the future this will lead to more um, skylights, at least. There's room to improve even with artificial light. This correspondent uh, scored a desk lamp a week or two ago and was delighted to see the wavelengths of light that pour out of it. These engineers seem to have spent some time and energy in uh, recreating natural sunlight, and I think it's working. Our next mission, the capturing and destroying of all compact fluorescents. (laughs) <laughs> who are exerting their evil influence on our lives. I've, I've come to realize, sadly, that when I travel now, I need to take uh, probably an LED bulb along with me since so many hotels have these compact fluorescents, which uh, may keep you from bumping into walls, but are hell on your eyes if you're trying to read. And they're just damned unpleasant. Anyway, we're out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and I'm happy to note I'll see you again next week at the same time.